We're going to get back into the book of John as we're going through the gospel of John. I'm having a good time doing that, and there's a lot there. I think the apostle John is just trying to speak to the common people. I feel like I'm kind of a common person, or I feel like our church is kind of that way. So he keeps it on a level to where we could uh, we could really understand, and we could we could know God, and we could know. Uh, God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So in John chapter 10, the chapter is a, is a lot has a lot to do with Jesus being the good shepherd, and we're going to be in some of those scriptures today. Uh, so if you'll turn to John chapter 10, we'll go to verse 10, which I preached on a couple weeks ago. We'll do that one just by way of review, but then... Um, We'll mainly focus in knowing the Good Shepherd. So if you're in your Bible, follow along. I didn't put these verses on the screen. Um, so you'll have to use your Bible, your device, or however you look, look up the scriptures. But it says in verse 10 of John 10, The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I think physically, mentally, and spiritually. I think he's on a full-out assault. Jesus, however, as an antithesis to the devil, his future antichrist, his like uh, demonic system and dominions, Jesus, on the other hand, says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have this life more abundantly. Of course, we know that the life that Jesus brings and the life who Jesus is He'll say this in the next chapter as he raises Lazarus from the dead. He's the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the resurrection life. What is resurrected life? It's unending life. It's eternal life. So the life that Jesus is and the life that he has to offer is exclusive. It's inclusive. It's for everyone uh, Jews, Gentiles, male, female, bond, free, young, old, uh, nationwide. He loves the world. It's inclusive, but this life is exclusive only to Jesus. You can't get this life from joining a church or getting baptized or being religious or studying or getting degrees or getting real smart and trying to figure out God. You only get this life by receiving Christ, not by achieving anything. That's the start. Receiving Christ as eternal life. The abundant life is, well, what do you do with this life after you receive it? Right, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And then he goes on to say, verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's unusual. Usually the sheep are given for the shepherd, but here Jesus gives his life for the sheep. But he that's a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own uh, sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches them and uh, scatters, them, scatters the sheep. You know, he's timid. He's, uh, he's afraid. Um, Bad times come, you know, he starts, he hits the road. He doesn't care about the sheep, cares about himself. The hiring flees because he's the hireling and cares not for the sheep. Be the difference of like a business owner versus an employee, you know, that does, it's not really invested. Um, he says, Jesus said, I'm a good shepherd and I know my sheep and have known of mine. 
So Jesus knows his sheep by name. That's the difference between a cattle rancher and a shepherd. A cattle rancher brands the cattle. He only knows them by the number of head of cattle. You've heard that phrase. I got 100 head of cattle. You know, I don't know in South Carolina if they got cattle out there. but <laughs> Joe has his uh, brother and sister in town from South Carolina. I'm just poking a little fun. I, uh, you know, this is more like a Texas thing, right? I got, on my ranch, I got, um, I got 200, you know, steers and cattle, and I don't even know the language, but the shepherd knows the sheep by name, not by brand, and as branding is so popular in our culture, everyone's pitching a brand, you know, when, you, when you're at a cattle ranch, there's a brand, and it has like a, 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 a mark, per se, <laughs> and it identifies it with the cattle rancher, but he's only using the cattle for money. And so the shepherd, however, he knows them by name, not by number. And a different style of leading versus mandating, where the cattle rancher would mandate, mandate, mandate. He pushes and he drives and he puts them into the slaughter. Whereas the shepherd, he's out in front and he gives his life and he protects. He guides, he protects, he warns. He leads them to green pastures and to still waters. That's what he does. Not the cattle rancher. I'll let you draw your own conclusions for that. Um, but he says in verse 15, as the Father knows me, even so I am known of the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. This is the... <coughs> Excuse me. This is at a time where Jesus... He's building his church. He's setting the stage for the church. But the great mystery of the church was that it would be made of Jews and Gentiles and that they would be one in Christ. So that's, that, that's what he's referring to. Uh, and they shall hear my voice and they shall be one fold and have one shepherd. Therefore, does my father love me because I lay down my life and I might take it again. Talking about resurrection. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and have power to take it again. This commandment I receive of my Father. Here's something unique about Jesus and the reason why he's a perfect sacrifice. The reason why Jesus is a perfect sacrifice is because when a sheep is sacrificed for the sins of the nation, for example, they're not like, pick me. <laughs> No one volunteers. They just kind of go like, hey, where are we going? Um, whereas in the triune Godhead, Jesus said, I'll go. I'll be the lamb to take away the sin of the world. So he voluntarily laid his life down. Look, even though Judas betrayed him, and even though Peter cut off that guy's ear and said, no one's going you know, get to get to my Lord, even though all that was happening, and even though Jesus, I always picture like Jedi things, you know, they're going to get him, and he's like, no, you're not. And he walks through the midst. Even though all that stuff was happening, um, Jesus knew when the fullness of time was come, he knew exactly when he came, why he came, and when he was going to lay his life down. He knew exactly it had to be Nisan 14, the same day the Passover lamb was uh, sacrificed, the same day Jesus knew that he was going to give his life and then three days later take it up again. So he wasn't a martyr. He didn't caught off, get caught off guard. 
He wasn't murdered or assassinated, uh, even though people and the devil uh, were scheming to get him. Jesus had full authority on his death, burial, and resurrection. Therefore, he's the perfect sacrifice. Verse 19, there was a division, therefore, again, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, he has a devil. He's mad. Why do you even listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of him that has the devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? There's always been a division about Jesus, right? People even today can't agree on Jesus. But just because people divide over Jesus doesn't mean we need to be silent about Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would guide us as we look to the Good Shepherd. We're the sheep. Uh, You're the Good Shepherd. We know that those green pastures and still waters is not necessarily a place, but a person. You're the pasture. You're You're the water of life. You lead us into those deeper, abiding, abundant, relational Uh, operational oneness with you. You lead us there so that we can uh, get all that we need from our relationship in and with you. I just pray for all of us here um, in Jesus' name. Amen. So look at this abundant life verse again. So it'll be on the screen. John 10, 10. The thief comes, but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. So what is it that the thief has come to steal? Well, steal the truth of the gospel and that people, um, the gospel that people need to receive life. He comes to steal the truth uh, that once you're saved, you're always saved. He wants to steal that truth. He wants to steal the truth of our identity in Christ that we're justified by faith, we're sanctified by faith, we're accepted in the beloved, we're unconditionally loved, we're in the family, we have a full inheritance, all of our sins are completely forgiven. And if you don't believe that, Christian, I said this before, we're like a dog chasing our tail. You already have it. You already have all these things in Christ. But if the devil tells you and convinces you, he might even use some like weird Christian to come in your life and, oh, you, you think God, you know, that you're accepted and you think that you're justified. Um, I had a conversation with a guy yesterday and um, he, he was trying to tell me, just some stuff, and I said, listen, I'm going to die in five minutes. Let me ask you something. What must I do to be saved? What are you going to tell me? And he started quoting some creeds and some different religions and some different traditions. I said, I don't have time for that. I need to go get, where's your church? I need to get baptized in your church? I don't have time for that. I told you I'm dying in five minutes. What must I do to be saved? And I shut him down, not in a mean way, but I'm like, I don't, I don't have time to tolerate false gospels. Because the devil wants to just, he wants to peddle lies. He comes to steal the truth. He comes to steal uh, your identity in Christ. He comes to rob the power of the gospel, though he can't. He's attempting to water it down. He's trying to say there's something other than just Christ alone that you need in order to have life, and there's not. Jesus came that we might have life and to have this life more abundantly. But let me ask you, Christian, you have eternal life, but how's your daily abundant life? I think that's the real question. I'm probably looking at, you know, 
a church full of people that say, I, I was saved when I was, you know, you could fill in the blank when you were saved. You're like, that's when I asked Jesus to forgive my sin, come into my heart. I have the gift of eternal life. Yeah, how's it been going since? Because <laughs> most Christians are like, yeah, come to my church, receive Jesus. It's so awesome. Like, we're selling them holy real estate. Like, well, yeah, if you ask Jesus to save you, you, you'll go to heaven when you die, but it's hell. It's like hell until you get there. Jesus is just all right with me. You want to go to the Doobie Brothers? I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> I actually saw the Doobie Brothers in concert at the Gorge in Washington. I don't know why that song came to my head, but... You know the one I'm talking about? Jesus is just all right with me. Anyways, worldly, secular, get that out of your head. Get it out. Get it out. So, abundant life. I, you know, it's like easier said than experienced. Abundant life. Like, I could get up here and say it, but, you know, you could get up here and say it. But we need to go out this door and live it. Right? Sir Francis Assisi said this, and this is a super powerful quote. He said, preach Christ always and sometimes use words. Preach Christ always and sometimes use words. And I think what that means is that when we're living from Jesus outside these walls, we know that we have eternal life and we die, but are we living that abundant life on the, on the reg, on the daily? right? That's the abundant life. And when we get to John 15, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. It's that exchange of sap, that life-flowing sap. Yeah, you're going, you're going to heaven. I get it. But we're talking about the daily. How's the flow going? Sounds like I'm going to bust into a rap song. How's your flow? Look, it is, it's one thing to know about the Good Shepherd. Here, go to the next slide, knowing the Good Shepherd. Uh, it's one thing to know about the Good Shepherd. It's another thing to know the Good Shepherd and to be known by the Good Shepherd, right? It's one thing to know the Good Shepherd or to know about the Good Shepherd. It's, an, it's another thing to actually know the Good Shepherd personally, and he knows you by name. So I got to ask you, do you know him? If you don't, do you want to know him? Let's say you know him for eternal life. Do you know him for abundant life? Let me ask you that. He wants to lead you to those green pastures and still waters. He's still leading you, uh, right? So here's some good verses on that topic, not on the abundant life, but for those that maybe don't have the eternal life that he has to offer. That's where you start. John 17, 3 says this, and this is life eternal that we might know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's life eternal. I quote 1 John 5.20 often, if you haven't noticed. I don't, and I, I don't know why. I just keep going back to this verse. It's tucked away. It's like towards the end of the Bible. I don't hardly ever, I listen to a lot of messages and podcasts and speakers. I hardly ever hear this verse quoted, but for some reason to me, back to it. It says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true. Location, location, location. Like if you just have a head knowledge of Jesus, 
and not a heart internal knowledge of Jesus, that's, that's a location issue. So if Jesus is in you, this is the true God, and that's eternal life. And so if you have Christ, you have eternal life. And so knowing, knowing Jesus, Paul, in part of his testimony, after he's got done saying he's the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Jew of Jews, the time life <laughs> uh, Jewish man of the, you know, 10 years running, he didn't say that, but he says in his testimony, look at Philippians chapter 3, it'll be on the screen. He says, doubtless I count all things uh, but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, that he might know Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He went from hero to zero in his community because he received the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, I count them but dung or rubbish or waste or worthless, that I might win Christ. And look at this, and be found in him, there's that preposition, in, not having my own righteousness, which is self-righteousness, which is of the law, which is what he went by before he got saved, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, that's that Zoe life, that abundant life, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. I don't like that part. I like, I like misquoting this verse, where, it's, where it just ends, that I might know him. Stop. I don't like the rest of the verse. Well, the fellowship of his sufferings and conform to his death. But I don't think sufferings necessarily have to be physical. Think about some of the sufferings Jesus went through. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. You ever been discouraged? You ever been depressed? You ever have anxiety? You ever think that was part of the sufferings? You know, Jesus was character assassinated. If they had social media in that time, he would have been deplatformed, canceled, right? I mean, think about how, how much smack talk they were talking about Jesus, and, it, and he never felt like he ought to set the record straight. In fact, the Bible says when he was reviled, he reviled not again. And he had every opportunity to. He was perfect. He was righteous. He, he, was, he was clear of all that. Have you, ever been, have you ever had someone talk bad about you or say things that aren't true about you, and you had to sit on it without, without having to defend yourself? You know what kind of suffering that is? This is a different kind of suffering, right? Today, I don't think you're going to be like conquered by a sword, but a keyboard. <laughs> Not a sword, but a keyboard. Because there's a bunch of keyboard warriors out there that just want to, you know, malign Christians, the Christ of Christianity. They want to, you know, paint us in a weird light, like you're some right-wing tinfoil hat, you know, gun-toting cowboy. <laughs> Here I am back in Texas again. Riding, riding horses, slinging guns, preaching Jesus, Bible banging. And they, you know, whatever the, whatever the slander is, because the devil's the father of lies, he's, he's hurling these darts at us continuously, and our faith, and he wants to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He wants to steal your credibility, rob you of your joy. He wants to do all of that and defame the name of Jesus and his followers. And so Jesus suffered. And when you identify with Christ, you may go through part of that as well. 
And so he says that, I've suffered the loss of all things, but it's nothing compared to knowing Christ. Look at Ephesians 1.17. This is the prayer of the Apostle Paul. He's praying for the church at Ephesus. In fact, in verse 6 of chapter 1, he said, you're accepted in the beloved. He just said you're accepted. In verse 7, he says you're forgiven. In verse what 12 and 13, he says you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So he's giving them all of this identity, identity, identity. You're, here's who you are in Christ. Here's who you are in Christ. And then he says this, but it's his prayer that the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's a bad word for you know, us Baptists. We don't believe in that. But Paul's saying not new revelation of something outside of the Bible, but that your eyes would be open to what you have in the Bible, what God's already given you in Christ. Because we, we don't know we have a tail. So we chase it. We're looking for the thing that we already have in Christ, and we don't know it because the devil came and stole it from you. But he couldn't steal it. You just don't believe it. So he says that you would have... Is this the verse? I think it says in verse 18 or verse 16, the verse before or after, he said that your eyes would be open or enlightened. And so he wants us to just wake up. I preached from Ephesians 4 last week uh, where he says, wake up, you sleepers, wake up. I think there, there could be potentially a great awakening, another one happening in our land as people wake up, hopefully, um, smell the coffee, and receive uh, the Christ of Christianity. So turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians. We'll go out of chapter 1, verse 17. Yeah, verse 18. He says that, that the eyes of your understanding uh, would be open and enlightened, that you might know what the hope of this calling is. But if you go to chapter 3, look at verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation, that's just a different word for saying the time frame, of the grace of God which was given to me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Well, it's not a mystery anymore. It was Jews and Gentiles being one in Christ. Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, but it's now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles, here you go, would be fellow heirs, joint heirs of the same body, partakers of the same promise in Christ by the gospel. He says, this is why I was made a minister, according to the gift of grace of God that was given unto me by his mighty working power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints... This isn't false humility. He knew. He used to persecute the church, and now he's building it up. But this grace was given, and I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. A pastor could get up for the rest of his days and just, just preach Jesus and never exhaust the eternal depths and riches of Christ. They're unsearchable. And to make... All men see what is the fellowship of this mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Okay, so how much do you know about the unseen world? All the things that you need to look at under a microscope. He created it. How about the things that the Hubble can't see? You know, how about, what is it, one million light years from edge to edge of the universe that we know about? I mean, how much do we really know? 
we only know about 5% of the ocean. And that's 70%, 70-something percent of the earth. We don't, know, we don't know anything, really, if you think about it. To the intent that now, under the principalities and powers, how much do you know about um, the, the demons that are the principalities and powers that are ruling around, walking around, roaming around? How much do we know? We don't know. Might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose. How much do we know of the eternal purpose? Do you know God's eternal purpose? If you were to summarize it, hey, I'm dying in five minutes. I, I like this one. I'm going to start using this one all the time. I, I can't go to your school. I can't get your degrees. I, I, don't, I can't study the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic, and I, I don't even have a Rosetta Stone. I'm sorry. Could you tell me in five minutes, you know, what is God's eternal purpose? Do we know? That's a, that's a huge verse in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith in Christ. Wherefore, wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, because he suffered loss so that others might know this message. He says, For this cause I bow the knees to my Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner person. That's that interior life. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith so that you can be rooted and grounded in love. Here, we're, like we're building up to it. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, all the Christians in the church, what is the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height. We haven't even scratched the surface. We're talking about an eternal God who made everything seen from that which is unseen, which tells me the things that are unseen have been around eternally a lot longer than the things that are seen. And we think this is it. And he says that your eyes would be open so you could see the length, the width, the depth, the height. To know, here's where I want to land, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That was his prayer. I pray this, that your eyes would be open, that you'd understand Christ, that you would see the height, the width, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ with all the rest of the Christians, which would pass knowledge. So knowing Jesus. I got, I got this poem I want to read. I think it's on the screen as well. This is actually from a hymn written by Frederick Lehman. I think I've quoted it. A few years ago, um, it's, my wife um, had written one of the, you call them stanzas or verses, it's not the course, um, the last one, it's one of her favorites, and I love the words as well. She was the one that introduced it to me, um, but it's to know the love of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care, gave God his son to win. His, his erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Here's the chorus. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. When hoary time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who here refuse to pray and rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure, all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints and angels' song. 
Could we with ink, this is the verse that my wife, she actually read it in, wrote it in calligraphy too. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Powerful words. I know in today's contemporary music, right, you just sing the same 11 words over seven times seven, you know, the, what the 711 style is. That's okay, repetition, we get it. But when they wrote deep words, you know, like the, when they wrote and taught doctrine in, in old hymns, I, don't, don't get me wrong, I like all of them. There's some hymns I don't like because I'm like, what in the world were you guys believing back then again? Um, you know, so you, you got to, like the Psalm 46, uh, it's in Psalm 46, I don't know the reference, it says, sing songs with understanding. I think that's the main point. You can sing it with your heart, but also know with your head what you're singing as well. At any rate, I just love the lyrics to that old hymn because it reflects upon just the, the breadth and the height and the width, just how deep the Father's love is towards us. And Paul's prayer is, know this love and know the lover, the source of this love. He's the good shepherd. He laid down his life for you. He's leading you. Why is he doing all this? Because he loves you. So what's the cost for those that don't know him? Well, what is the cost for those who say they know him and yet really don't? This is, I think this is interesting. This is an interesting verse. And when you consider this sermon on the, on the mount where Jesus is preaching, look at his audience. Who is he speaking to? When he says this, look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 22. He says, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name cast out devils and in your name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. So they knew about the Lord, but they didn't really know the Lord because the Lord didn't really know them. Is that, does that mean God is not um, omniscient, all-knowing? He does know them, um, but they never initiated that relationship with him by faith through grace. Turn with me if you would. These are some interesting parables in Matthew chapter um, 25. Go to Matthew 25. And keep this idea of people that say they know Jesus, but don't really. And I'm not trying to cause doubt into anyone at all, but I think we're living in interesting times. I just had a pastor friend of mine tell me there's a church of about 10,000 people that just shut down. 10,000 people. And he has his opinion, pastor, the leadership, the people. And I've read an article on a megachurch one time. Um, look, I would love to, for this church to be a megachurch, so I'm not anti-megachurch. I'm not like, I don't got a Noah complex. Only eight people shall be saved. Everyone else perish. <laughs> Us, us four and no more, plus four more. Um, I'm not into the Noah complex, you know, like people that, that just pride themselves and just like, I, I'm not into that because God multiplied and added to the church and it grew and grew and grew and grew. I'm all for that. But sometimes it's how you grow the church. Jenny, we, we're talking about that, how you grow the church. You take a sample from the world and then bring the world into the church just so you get the world into the church. Is that how you do it? No. 
You preach Christ, you preach the word, what you win people with is what you keep them with, right? You win them with Jesus, you keep them with Jesus. God builds the church, some people plant, some people water. I love how Maddie's always emphasizing, take, take invite cards, take invite cards. Our, our car show thing, uh, sit at the table. Why are we sitting at the table? So, because we have a candy ministry, because we care about candy and people getting cavities. That's not, it's not about the candy. It's about so we could be a light in the world. We could get the candles out of the building and into the culture, and we could shine, and we could have conversations, and we could preach Christ, and sometimes we could use words if we get the opportunity. We can't be afraid to use the words, right? Um, so it's about, you know, having our impact in the community. But this one megachurch, to go back to that, this one megachurch pastor wrote an article and I'm not going to name names because I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, speak ill of my brothers and sisters in Christ. But he admittedly said he adopted the world's techniques just to build a mega church. And when they built the mega church, he said it was 11 miles wide and an inch deep, and they went from thousands to nothing because no one knew the Lord. They they came based on whatever. If you win them based on programs, or let's say we had like a some sort of, you know way to get people to come into the church, you know, like free lottery tickets. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how to get people to come to church anymore, but whatever the, the appeal is, if you appeal to a, like a base carnal flesh nature, well, then you've got to keep them that way. But if you appeal to them based on their spiritual relationship and connection with Christ, then that's how you keep them, right? Basic church 101. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's the builder. I want to join him in what he wants to do, and he wants to build his church. Do you want to join him in that? Look at, look at verse chapter 25 of Matthew. This should be concerning. In Matthew chapter 25, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, took their lamps, okay, they're... they're they're going to be, they're almost betrothed to a husband, right? Or husbands, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. And they, they that went uh, were foolish, took their lamps and took no oil with them. Keep that in mind, they didn't have the oil. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps, right? You need the, you need the fuel to have the light. You don't have any oil. You don't have any light. So while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out and meet him. And we know that the church, right, is, is the bride of Christ, and Jesus is the bridegroom. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, lit them. And the foolish said unto them, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise said, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather uh, to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they were ready, went in with him into the marriage. And this is right after Jesus in chapter 24 is answering the questions of when's the end? When's the kingdom? What about this tribulation we've been hearing about? When's the end of Jerusalem? When are, when are we getting out of here? When's the rapture? They didn't use the word rapture, but when's this like catching away? 
And he's going into this in chapter 25 a little bit as well. And he says, um, but they were ready, went in with, the, with him into the marriage, and the door was shut. And afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said to them, Truly I say unto you, I know you not. I don't know you. I don't know you. We'd like to avoid this one, right? This is like one of those, like, this is a scary passage. I just want to remind you that in the Bible, in the Old and the New Testament, oil always represented the Holy Spirit. When you anointed a king, they did it with oil. In the New Covenant, you're anointed, the Bible says, with that Holy Spirit of promise. So if you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, you have received the anointing. You have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. You would be considered the wise. Now, could Jesus catch you off guard? Are you sometimes preoccupied by the things of the world? Probably. Um, should you be scared that you're going to lose your salvation? No. Uh, but this could be a good wake-up call. I'm not going to go... Well, yeah, let's go to the... Let's, do, let's just do the rest, because let's look at the talents here. Um, where do we end off? What verse? Um, look at the, look, let's look at the talents. Um, verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour where the Son of Man comes. Then he, get, he goes on to this example. A parable is just like a, an earthly example of a heavenly reality and a heavenly truth. So he's going to use money here. He uses the resource of oil to picture the Holy Spirit. Now he's going to use um, the talent. The word talent is a measure of, and it's a measure of, uh, of currency, but the currency is just an earthly example of a heavenly truth, and here we're, here we're going to get into it. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country. Remember, Jesus came, and then he went away, and he said he's going to come back. Who called his own servants and delivered them unto his goods, and he gave one five talents, and to another two, and to another one. To every man according as his ability. This is very interesting. And straightway he took his journey. Remember, the talent is a measure of something. In this case, a measure of, of money. And then the hero received five talents, and he traded the same and made with them five more. Doubled it. Likewise, also he that received two, he gained other two. All Doubled it. But he that received the one went and digged it in the earth. He hid the Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants comes, and he reckons with them. He's going to you know, get the, get the record straight. And so he went and had received five talents, came and brought other five, saying, Lord, delivered unto me five. Behold, I've gathered uh, again beside them five talents more. And the Lord said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, you've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter thou in the joy of the Lord. He also that had received uh, two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained uh, two other talents beside them. The Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which received uh, the one talent came and said, Lord, I... I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stuttering for him, right? But look at what he says. I knew you were, you know, you're a hard man. And I knew that you reap where you don't reap. And, 
you gather where you don't gather. And I was afraid. And, and I went and I hid your talent in the earth. And um, So here's someone that knows about Jesus, but doesn't actually know Jesus. How many people know about Jesus, but don't actually know Jesus? What's the talent? Look, I'm not going to pick on Karen. Um, she plays the, the piano wonderfully. Let's just assume that the talent was piano playing. And she has this, this one talent. And, of course, we, we didn't have her playing today, but let's just use this as an example. <laughs> Jesus comes back, Karen. You didn't use this talent today of piano playing. The cover's on. Jesus comes back. You're slumbering. You're sleeping. You're not using your talent. You knew all about Jesus, yet you decided to bury your talent in the pew, and you're not playing the piano. Well, look at the result of burying your talent, if your talent is, is an ability. Where, where did I leave off? I forget. Um, he knew. He knew. He knew. Okay, wait. He answers that. And then he said, his Lord answered in verse 26, and said unto him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew, you knew that I reap where I sow not, and I gather where I have not. You ought therefore to have put my money into the exchangers, that, uh, that coming I have received my own with interest. King James says usury, it's interest. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it to him which has ten talents. For every one which has shall be given, uh, and he shall have an abundance, but from him that has not shall be taken away, even that he has, and cast that unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where there shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. So you mean to tell me, Mr. Baptist preacher, that if I don't play the piano, because that's my talent, that I'm going to be cast into outer darkness and hell with fire and brimstone? I know how to play the guitar. I don't ever play the guitar in church. You mean to tell me, Mr. Preacher Man, you hypocrite, you've got talents, and you know uh, you don't join the music team, you're burying your talent? Outer darkness for you. No soup for you, and outer darkness for you. Where there's weeping. We gotta figure out, well, what's this talent? What's this measure of, the word talent is a measure of something. Go to, I, I, I skipped over that one. Go to the next one. Look at Romans 12.3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to everyone the measure of faith. Do you realize the faith that you've been given to place it in the Lord Jesus Christ has been given to you by God? So if I place my faith in this pulpit, if I place my faith in Joe Biden, if I place my faith in the Supreme Court, if I place my faith in my bank account or the economy, if I place my faith in America, if I place my faith in you know, some uh, statue like Buddha or something like that, if I place my faith in anything other than Jesus Christ, oh, I know about Jesus Christ, but I choose not to place my faith alone in Christ alone, the result is outer darkness. The only unpardonable sin in the entire Bible is the sin of unbelief, because God gave you faith, but if you don't put your faith in Christ, that's the only result you're going to get. I know that's not too popular, 
but that's the only conclusion you could come to. It's not not playing the piano and not playing the guitar. It's not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. That's what it is. And there's people that know about Jesus, but there's people that just don't know Jesus. Here's the thing. Can I just get real with you? There's a lot of stuff going on in the culture right now, in the country, and around the world. There's riots all over. There's protests all over. There's things that are happening that aren't being reported. Maybe you know of them, maybe you don't. There's a lot that we won't ever know. I understand that. The, the country feels a little at, uh, unease. Like, who's driving this ship anyways, right? Who's, where are we going? Who's steering this thing? When I kind of take samplings of pastor friends that I have and mentors that I have around the country, a few of them have said this. They said, Neil, we know what's going on. We kind of see it. Eyes have been open. Kind of woke up a little bit. I said, well, what does that mean to the church? As churches have been shutting down and, you know, churches have been fragmented and churches have gone virtually and they're no longer meeting in person anymore and churches are running around afraid or closing or whatever the case may be. I said, what do you think this is? So a couple of my pastor friends said, I'll tell you what it is. It's finding out who's the sheeps and who's the goats. It's finding out the wheats and the tares. The children of God versus those that just say they know God in name only. That's what it is. I'm like, Are you, really? Like, yeah. Yeah. I said, that's very interesting. Um, and maybe God's doing that. I don't know. You're here. I'm here. But people need to know the Lord. Look at this next slide, this know Jesus. Or wait, go to that, that yeah, I forgot. That was supposed to be for emphasis, but we lost the emphasis there. <laughs> um, <laughs> outer darkness. Okay, let's go to the next one. No Jesus, no life. Whoever made this pretty clever. But N-O Jesus, N-O life. If you know him as your Lord and Savior, you will know him as your life. But if you no, no Jesus, no life. <laughs> but if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Let's make it real simple from the Bible. John 3.36. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life, but he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. How simple is that? John 3.17. I know you know John 3.16, but look at the next verse. For God sent not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why didn't he send him to condemn the world? Because he said in the verse previous, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't come to condemn, but to save. What is that Luke verse 17 or 19, 18? Son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So that's why he came. And here's the, here's the condition to that. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed, placed his faith that God already gave him. That's why Romans 1 says, when you stand before God, no one's with an excuse. Because you've been given the measure of faith. Where are you placing that faith? Do you just know about him intellectually, or do you know him uh, spiritually and intimately? And he says... He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
And then I love these passages. We'll get there eventually at the end of John 10. Jesus says this, Believe, but you believe me not, because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they, they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no one's able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So let's all stand and let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Again, if you don't know, we are going through the book of Revelation on Sunday nights, and we show more videos uh, on, we didn't last uh, Sunday, but we, we have started to do that more often. We're still covering the mark of the beast as we're in Revelation 13, and we'll get to the rest of the chapters to come. I can't wait to get into Babylon, Mystery Babylon. I'm super stoked about that. No one else is but me. That's okay. Um, <laughs> it's coming. But let's close on a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that we know you and that we're known by you. If there is someone here that maybe knows about you but doesn't know that they have that personal relationship with you, it's not too late. They can call upon you uh, and just say something like, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Uh, will you forgive me and come into my heart and give me the free gift of eternal life? Whatever it is, Lord, I just pray that they would place their faith that you've given them and that you would be that object of their faith that they trust. For those of us that do know you, help us to be bold in making you known. And also, Lord, help us to not just know that we have the gift of eternal life, but help us to live from that daily abundant life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.